welcome to my favorite theorem, the math podcast with no quiz at the end. I am one of your hosts. I'm Kevin Knudsen, professor of mathematics at the University of Florida, and your other host is... Hi, I'm Evelyn Lamb, a freelance math and science writer in Salt Lake City, Utah, where we sadly are past our beautiful, not too hot spring and fully into summer. So uh, we enjoyed it while it lasted. I didn't have to turn on any air conditioning until after the start of July. So I think we started nice. air conditioning in March, probably. <laughs> so a little different, a little different vibe down here in Florida, but uh, yeah, it's where we are. So anyway, it's summertime here, which means that there are tumbleweeds rolling through my department, and uh, I'm, I'm answering a few emails a day and trying to work, trying to do math, and uh, boy, sometimes it's hard, you know. But sometimes it isn't. So uh, anyway, so today though we, uh, oh, this is great. We we are very pleased to welcome Tatiana Toro who will uh, introduce herself and, and, and let us know what she's all about. Thank you very much for the invitation. I'm very glad to be here. And in fact, I'm very glad to see Evelyn's Cloud that mm. I had heard about in other podcasts. Mm. So, uh, <laughs> I'm Tatiana Toro. I'm a, a mathematician at the University of Washington, where I have been a faculty member since 1996. And mm. currently, I am the director of the Simon's Law for Mathematical Sciences Institute formerly known as MSRI. Mm. And I'm in Berkeley, California, and summer hasn't arrived yet here. It never will. Yeah, that'll be November, right? <laughs> <laughs> I had actually forgotten that the name of MSRI had changed to 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 the Simons business. Uh, that, that'll, that'll take some getting used to. I, mean, I, I think I mentioned before we, we started talking, I spent a, a semester there way back in 2006 and my son came with me and, and my wife did too and, and he was uh, seven at the time and, uh, and now he's uh, an adult living in Vancouver. It's weird how things change. But uh, I, I love uh, that building though and the, and, the, and the panoramic view you have of the bay and you can watch the fog roll in through the gate at tea time. Just a really wonderful place. So congratulations. How long have you been directors? Have been a year yet? Almost a year. It'll be yeah. a year August 1st. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's fantastic. What a what a terrific what a terrific position, and and I'm I'm, I'm glad that you're uh, that that you're willing to take it on. Do you do you split your time between Berkeley and Seattle, or are you mostly in Berkeley these days? I am mostly in Berkeley. My mm -hmm. students are still in Seattle, mm -hmm. so um, I see them mostly on Zoom, but mm -hmm. once in a while on Friday in Seattle. Oh, so you go there? You don't fly them down? That's not. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, no, some of them have come down. Actually, one of them is here, but a summer sure. school, one of our summer school. Sure. Yeah. Well, it's a pretty easy trip. So, yeah. All right. So, uh, uh, what is this podcast about? Favorite theorems. And you told us ours ahead of time, but, but uh, yours ahead of time, but uh, we'll, we'll let you share. What, what is your favorite theorem? Okay. So, my favorite theorem is the Pythagorean theorem. And I know Classic. that everybody's going to say, what on earth are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I really, really love this choice. And, you know, I've said this on many other iterations of this podcast, but I love that, you know, we'll get things that span the gamut from Pythagorean theorem or mm -hmm. the infinitude of primes or something like that, all the way up to something that you, you know, you need to have been researching for 20 years in some very <laughs> ultra specific field to even understand. And so, right. you know, it just like shows how how math connects with us in different ways at different times in our lives and and how we can appreciate some maybe things that seem very simple about math 
even when we are, you know, have had math careers for for many years. Right. So yeah, tell us about like why. How did you end up settling on the Pythagorean theorem? So, um, so because actually it has played a very important role in my career. Mm. Like when I describe it to my students, when I'm teaching a graduate class and I talk about the some of the theorems I'll describe in a minute, mm -hmm. um, I tell them you know. My, the key, one of the key ideas in my thesis was the Pythagorean theorem. So mm -hmm. let me explain it. And it appears um, in many other results in this area of geometric analysis. So, mm -hmm. for example, um, let me give you two examples. So, what was my thesis about? You have a surface, a blob in space, and you're trying to, in two dimensional thing in R3, and you're trying to understand if you can find a parametrization, which means a good way to describe it. Mm -hmm. in terms of um, from the plane. So can you deform the plane in a nice way so that it covers the surface and a nice way means that distances are not changed too much, okay? okay? And so I had some specific conditions for the surface and and the answer, the, the key was in the situation I was looking at, yes, you could do it. And when you go and deeply look at what makes this possible is the Pythagorean theorem. Mm -hmm. Because the basic point is that if you can control how distances are distorted, you can control the whole how the whole shape is mapped from mm -hmm. the plane. Mm -hmm. And at the time it looked like a curiosity. And you know, it, this was I graduated many years ago. At the time, a few years earlier, uh Peter Jones had um of the analyst travel in salesman problem, which I'm going to just in general terms, let's imagine you have a lot of points in the in a square and you're trying to understand whether you can pass a curve of finite length through all of these points. Um, you're going to tell me if they're finite, of course you can, you just, <laughs> but you want to do it in an efficient way, in a way that doesn't depend on the number of points. Mm -hmm. And so okay. he had found the condition that told you if this condition is satisfied, then yes. And there's not an algorithm that, that doesn't exist yet. That tells you what's the best curve, but there's a curve and it tells you in the length is no more than something. And what's behind that is the fact that if you have a straight triangle that mm -hmm. has sides A and B, <laughs> and the other one is B, A squared plus B squared equals C squared. And really is understanding that and there's another important thing, but is the fact that the square root also plays an important role in this. But really, really, if if you ask me what are the tools you need in this area, I'll tell you how the square root behaves in the Pythagorean theorem, and then a couple of good ideas, and you're able to reconstruct the whole thing. So mm -hmm. that's why I like. Okay. So the I'm, I'm now curious about this traveling salesman problem. So there's no algorithm, though? No, there's no algorithm, okay. and the, you know, if you, I use the word analyst, travel mm -hmm. and salesman problem, right. and it was because the analyst wants to know whether you can pass a curve of finite, curve, mm -hmm. finite length, mm -hmm. it's not you, maybe you can say you're not ambitious enough, you don't want the shortest possible curve. Mm -hmm. To build the shortest curve, there's no algorithm, okay. and the construction of Peter Jones, um, Builds a curve, but but is is not necessarily the best one. Mm -hmm. Sure. 
and, yeah. it, and it doesn't tell you it tells you the length is no more than b mm -hmm. but it's not uh, you know it's but, not b. yeah I'm, I'm trying to remember if like i think there probably are some algorithms or or some like results that say like you can you know you can get within a certain percentage mm -hmm. of something but yeah the algorithm for the actual fastest path doesn't exist yet yeah. um which is you know it's one of those things it's like huh that's kind of surprising that we don't have a way to do that yet i guess means that there's still work to be done right. uh still jobs out there for mathematicians well i mean because the comp the, the combinatorial one the graph theory one is is np complete right i mean like yeah so that that or np hard or whatever whatever yeah, np yeah np something and uh <laughs> i think I, i've never been clear what the difference is um but is this one known to be that too or is it uh is it okay i, right. I believe so. okay all right okay but you can construct um some I mean, and you know so this was what was interesting about the the problem the result of peter jones is that so there was a the result of Peter Jones, and I have to say I was very ignorant of that result, which mm -hmm. had just happened a few years prior to my thesis. I have mm -hmm. to remind remind the of the young audience that at the time there was no internet the same way, and there was mm -hmm. no archive, and mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. there was no Zoom, and so um, and then Peter Jones had a couple of postdocs at Yale, um, Stephen Sams and Guy David who started working on these. And the truth is, um, may I tell a story about my thesis? Yeah, please do. So my thesis came out of a misunderstanding. I mm. went to my advisor and I showed that the surfaces that I was looking at, which were some that he had looked at, that there was this property about distances over the surface. Like if you travel, if an ant travel on the surface and an ant the, the, between two points, um, to you know taking the shortest path or the short path it was comparable to the euclidean distance okay and so i went to my advisor and who my advisor was leon simon and i told him uh, you know i have been able to prove these about these surfaces and then he told me oh then um i guess they have a they admitted by lipschitz parameterization which is this good description mm -hmm. i said oh okay and so i went to the library and I looked through every possible book that I could find, and I couldn't find that. So I went back two weeks later and asked him, would you mind giving me a reference for this result? Mm -hmm. And so, oh, I don't have a reference. That must be true. Must and be that came uh, my thesis problem. Mm -hmm. And then, oh, and there were many iterations of attempts, and I could do specific cases, but I could not do the general case. And on is May, of my fourth year and finally somebody gives a colloquium where he talks about good parametrizations and mm -hmm. he talks about things like what i was thinking mm -hmm. and i um i was thrilled i mean i thought oh i'm gonna go read everything this guy has written and my answer was that. and and then i told my advisor i think i'm gonna go read this guy's um, work and this guy was Stephen Sams and he comes from harmonic analysis and my advisor said no stop reading I don't want you reading anymore you just prove that theorem and just that's it and I said I don't want you reading but <laughs> one good thing you know harmonic analysts use squares mm -hmm. rather than uh, balls mm -hmm. that's the most huh. common 
my advisor had no way. I mean, I'm, <laughs> and what's interesting is that um, Stephen Sams was talking about a broader class of surfaces than mine. Mm -hmm. And for those, he was asking, do bilipchus parametrizations exist? And for those, the answer is still is not known. And if I had gone and read everything that he had written, I mean, he was the big shot that was the student, mm -hmm. I might not have gotten my results. And I remember when I told Stephen at some point in the fall, oh, you know, I, I proved these. His first question, his first reaction is, I don't believe you. Mm -hmm. And I said, how did you do these? And I said, using the Pythagorean theorem. And so that's why the Pythagorean theorem really is very dear to my heart. <laughs> yeah. So, so I imagine that you, you know, saw the Pythagorean theorem many years before you were in grad school. Do you remember, did it make a big impact on you when you saw it in school for the first time? You know, it, I don't know what, what year that would have been, elementary or middle school or uh, whatever, whatever it was. So I remember, I, you know, I, I had seen, I, I think I remembered where I saw it because I remembered the book. Um, I had a beautiful, I went through the French system. I'm Colombian, but I went mm -hmm. through the French system. Oh. And in the French system at the time I went, they tracked us very early on. And so we had this beautiful math book that, you know, I still remembered how it smelled. And it was in there. Uh, but I remember the book, not especially the theorem. I never, you know, I, mm -hmm. I never thought much about it until until I got to graduate school. And I use it other times. You know? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think maybe the beauty of that kind of thing isn't necessarily what you're looking at when you're a kid and first seeing math. You're you're more like, okay, how can I use this to mm -hmm. do the problems mm -hmm. on the homework mm -hmm. or something like that? Um, but so you were tracked into math pretty early on, like you knew very early on that you were interested in math. Yeah. Well, it's nice they let you just be math, right? I think a lot, in the U.S. what happens, I think, is um, uh, students who are good at math are told they should be engineers, right? Um, as, as if they're kind of the same thing and they're not. You know? <laughs> but that you see now and, and you... Feel free to remove these if you want. <laughs> uh, that's what the boys were told. Ah. The girl, his math was roughly like philosophy, and I mm. come from a South American country. So it was okay. Oh, <laughs> that's fascinating. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a lot of different, you know, kind of, I guess, philosophies about, you know, whether tracking that early or, you know, kind of deciding on, on what direction you want to go that early is is good or not you know it works for some people and not others definitely sure. absolutely i think um you know i think it worked for me very mm -hmm. well mm -hmm. and it didn't work for any of my classmates who were in the same <laughs> i mean <Yeah. laughs> and this was told by them you i mean i thought everybody loved it the same way i did and had as much fun mm -hmm. and then um, it's interesting. Later on, I've learned that that wasn't the case, and then some of them suffered through it. Then mm. you know, no. Yeah, to me, it was great. So, so this is a French system in Colombia, or were you in? Okay, this is a hit. Okay, well, let's get there. How did how did that actually happen? Why 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 were there French schools in Colombia? 
Well, I'll explain why there were French schools in Colombia and how I got into a French school. So um, there's a there's something that's called a cooperation agreement between France and uh, developing countries mm -hmm. where they bring they have schools. The primary reason to have them is so the kids of their diplomat mm -hmm. can you know, continue their study. Mm -hmm. But then they they also offer them to the general population at a very reasonable price. They are private schools, but they are not as expensive. They're the mm -hmm. fraction, or they used to be a fraction of what the other private schools were. Mm -hmm. And um, and at the time, um, so Colombia for a long time was what is called a sacred heart country. And so there was the ties with the Catholic Church were mm -hmm. very um, strong. Mm -hmm. And so in terms of education, for the girls, it was most girls went to non-school. But mm -hmm. I am not Catholic. Mm -hmm. And therefore, I couldn't. That was not an option um, okay. for me. Mm -hmm. And and so we needed a co-ed school. I mean, my parents wanted a co-ed school. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the girls' schools were all non. They wanted a co-ed school and we needed an affordable co-ed school and public schools were not good and still are unfortunately not good so mm -hmm. that's how i landed in the french school fascinating okay good you, see we're, we're, we're teaching we're, we're people we're, our, our listeners are learning all kinds of stuff right not, not just yes. math today yeah yeah we've wandered yeah. a little away but luckily we know thanks to the pythagorean theorem that yeah. you know we can walk back right. in a certain amount of time <laughs> so yeah the other thing we like to do on this podcast is have you pair your theorem with you know Something. food beverage <laughs> sport you know whatever delight in life you would like yeah so i actually will pair it um with um with walking so mm -hmm. i you know the i'm gonna give myself the title of urban hiker i do mm -hmm. walk long distances around town and in mm -hmm. cities on a regular basis i mean sure. you know i i walk about two hours a day at least mm -hmm. you know on the day mm -hmm. what i don't and and so i pair it with that because most often when I walk, I'm actually doing exactly the opposite of the Pythagorean theorem. <laughs> I want to go the longest possible way, not the shortest possible way. Mm. And so, but once in a while, I take the diagonal. And now that I'm living here in Berkeley, there's a beautiful diagonal that I take. And so mm. I think about that here. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. it's, uh, yeah. Yeah. So do you like the hills? Yeah, I was about to say, do you actually hike all the way up to, to the building there? Because that is quite a hike <laughs> yeah not when i'm coming to work mm, but yes. I'll, sometimes on weekends i do you mm -hmm. know i i walk mm -hmm. to christy and it depends it depends what i'm doing while i walk i use walking as a way mm -hmm. if i am listening to a book then i can go up the hill but if i want to talk on the phone i need to go down the hill because the reception <laughs> <here> is terrible <laughs> i mean i know exactly at what point on the hill you lose at and <laughs> that's true i mean so like i said i was there i was there some time ago and cell phones weren't quite as good as they are now but yeah my my research my reception was terrible at the institute like I just well your cell phone might have improved but the yeah. reception <laughs> <laughs> that's so odd yeah. i do i love this pairing i mm -hmm. i love walking and and biking mm -hmm. as like ways to 
you know, see the city on a human scale instead of mm-hmm. when you're you're in a car or something and you you just almost teleport from point A to point B. You don't like see the you you kind of don't get the same environment around you mm-hmm. that kind of effect. Mm-hmm. So I like that. Even though walking is also a great time to sort of like let your mind wander and not think about what's around you. Mm-hmm. Listen to your book or mm-hmm. talk on the phone with someone or think about proving that next theorem or anything like that. (laughs) So it's kind of that cat has both of those things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you live in two good cities for walking. That's good. Yeah. 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 Now with respect to, you know, to seeing things differently, one of the things I find amazing is that depending on what side of the street you walk, you see things differently. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yep. All right. This has been terrific. Gotta be some, some metaphor in there. I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so it's always nice to get another perspective of the Pythagorean theorem. So we, we, we didn't even, it's one of those things that everyone knows so much. We didn't even tell them what it was. I think it was embedded in there somewhere. Yeah. Uh, but, but, but the idea that it is still vital, like still important in modern research mathematics is, you know, is, is, is a really interesting thing to know about, you know, cause mm-hmm. I think we all just sort of take it for granted. Right. Yeah. And this theorem that has been known by humans for millennia right. and, you know, still is important. Right. Yeah. One of the things that these um, ways of building parameterizations, mm-hmm. so they develop into a whole field and then they move to other areas. So there are some recent results by Neighbor and Valtorta trying to look at singular sets of minimizing surfaces, variables, mm-hmm. you know, minimize some sort of energy. And uh, they have been able to give a very good description of this singular set by using this type of parameterizations, and they're all basically the basis is always the Pythagorean theorem. Mm-hmm. It's really mm-hmm. that's how distances change. I mean, that's right. The key. Right, just completely fundamental. Yep. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us. Uh, you, yeah, you, this is really fun. Thank you very much for the invitation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been great. Thanks. Thanks for listening to My Favorite Theorem, hosted by Kevin Knudsen and Evelyn Brown. The music you're hearing is a piece called Fractalia, a percussion quartet performed by four high school students from Gainesville, Florida. They are Blake Crawford, Gus Knudsen, Del Mitchell, and Bao Chan Nguyen. You can find more information about the mathematicians and theorems featured in this podcast, along with other delightful mathematical treats, at Kevin's website, kpknudsen.com, and Evelyn's blog, Roots of Unity, on the Scientific American Blog Network. We love to hear from our listeners, so please drop us a line at myfavoritetheorem at gmail.com, or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Kevin's handle on Twitter is at Nivik that's Kevin spelled backwards followed by Knudsen spelled backwards, and Evelyn's is at Evelyn J. Lamb. The show itself also has a Twitter feed. The handle is M-Y-F-A-V-E-T-H-M, that's at myfavoritetheorem. Join us next time to learn another fascinating piece of mathematics.